This is High School Not So Much a Musical, a podcast that takes you on a ride through the peaks and valleys of a high school journey. Here are your presenters, Nitin Jaladanki and Ayush Agarwal. So hello everybody and welcome back to High School Not So Much a Musical. Today we're joined with Mr. Erickson, who is a certified storyteller. So Mr. Erickson, could you talk about your book, How to Hack Humans, and why it's essential when trying to combine business and psychology to the market with a product? And this was only 99 cents during the pre-order period, and that's a really, really low amount considering the amount of knowledge and time that you would have had to put into it. So could you please talk to us about what you do, a little bit about who you are and your background? Sure. Yeah, there's a there's a whole lot in there. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so I what I do is I essentially help um, startups with branding and storytelling. Um, and the reason that we're focused on that area is because we see a lot of um, founders and startups that are great about understanding their their technology or their ideas, um, but they never really took you know an extensive amount of marketing or or branding classes in school right they were learning about their craft and they were focused on that so what happens is they go out to the marketplace and they're like we got this really cool ai thing but then they're not talking to their customers about and this is how it solves your problem right because the focus is on on the tech or what you know what it does but the customer really needs to see themselves getting some sort of benefit from that product so um and we see this in the same thing too where um, startups will show us like their deck, like, here's what we're going to go pitch to the investors. And it's just all numbers. And it's like a hundred slides. <laughs> and that I'm not saying that that information isn't important, but you have to get the, um, you have to get the investor interested in your idea before they're going to be interested in the numbers. Right. Cause they're like, do I like this person? Do I like their idea? And if I do, then I want to see how they're going to monetize it. Right. So there's kind of an order of operations um, misstep that's happening there because they're like, well, I need to prove that that my idea uh, will make money, but they're skipping over the step of proving that the idea or getting the investor like in, involved, engaged in the idea, and it, and it has to happen at an emotional level. So, um, so the book, <laughs> so that leads me to the book. Uh, the book is is one of the many ways that we are trying to help educate startups so that they don't fall uh, into those pitfalls, right? Like uh, the book is broken up into three acts because I'm a big fan of movies. And so act one is really, um, what is the science behind storytelling? Because I didn't want people to go read a book and have me, you know, blah, blah, blah. Storytelling is amazing. You should use it, right? I wanted to say, here's, here's what science is saying about this. And we're actually going to learn more because the stuff that we're learning now just leads to more questions, right? Like you're like, okay, well, why does that happen? Or, or why does it work that way instead of this way or whatever? So, um, so the first section is, is, um, I basically make the case that like the human brain is very similar to a computer. You know, we, we have short-term and long-term memory in computers. You have Ram and a hard drive. Uh, we have a conscious and a subconscious, um, in a computer, you have your, you know, your windows and your DOS, or if you're a Mac person, you've got your OSX and you've got your Unix, right? And so um, we even have firewalls. Uh, the firewall is is what we would call bias, right? Like certain things can get in and certain things can't. So, um, so the idea is that um, if we have an operating system, then what's running on this operating system and, and what's what we can see is running on this operating system is is essentially stories. Like all memories are kind of contained in a in a story. 
So then the question becomes, well, what can you, or how do you, you know, write to the operating system, right? Because if you have an operating system, you can't change anything in it, then it's just kind of stuck. And it's, uh, I guess it's air gapped. <laughs> but um, storytelling is like understanding how to write code, right? When you tell a good story, um, not only does that story move from short-term to long-term memory, um, but it sticks with people, right? Once it goes into that long-term memory, it's easy for, easier for them to remember. So that's the first part of the book. The second part of the book is, okay, now that you get why you should pay attention to this <laughs> and care about this, um, we explain, how do you tell a good story? And it's, you know, the hero's journey is the most popular uh, story format, mainly because we've seen it um, used throughout cultures across time. Um, we see the same pattern happening in ancient China as we do in, you know, Native American stories or in India or Eastern Europe, like humans, for whatever reason, keep telling stories in the same pattern. And so that's important because like a lot of these people never met, they never talked. They weren't like, here's how you tell a good story. It's just, it, it came out of, came out naturally. So, so we talk about, or I talk about how to tell a good story, right? And then the third part of the book is basically the, uh, the section I would just call steal my ideas, right? So I, I've read a lot of books where people give you a lot of theory, right? But then you don't know actually how to practically put it into application. And I give you all kinds of tools and processes to do that. Like here's how to tell a good story. I actually created a Mad Libs, right? Like just fill in these parts and you're, you'll be off to the races with, with a basic story. Um, you know, how do you write a good email, right? Like so many people write terrible emails. <laughs> um, so how do you change that? And, um, and so I explain our process for writing emails. I explain our process for, you know, how we look at branding. Like I, like I said, this is why it's the steal my stuff section, because I literally don't care if you hire me, I want you to be able to put the book down and go, I can go change stuff, or I can see where I should be doing this instead of that. And I don't even have to call this guy. I can do it myself because our whole goal in Storyfy is to help reduce the startup failure rate by 10%, right? Because it's often quoted, oh, it's 90%. I've worked with over a hundred startups. I've only seen two exits. One was hostile, one was good. And I'm like, is it really 10% or is it worse than that? And we just tell ourselves 10% so we can sleep at night <laughs> after we've made the decision to become an entrepreneur or a startup. Um, so, um, and, and the reason I think, um, or why I think that's important is because at the end of the day, every startup has to deal with this pesky problem called humans. And when you deal with humans, you have to communicate with them. And so the whole idea here is how do we better communicate with the people that we're doing business with, whether you're a leader in an organization or you're trying to talk to customers or the marketplace, like it's, it's the words you use and it's how you use those words and how you, and the, um, the process that you use in, in putting those words together that makes or breaks, you know, what you're doing and helps people understand you, helps you get stuck in their memory. So I've been kind of going on for a while here, but it's really important. <laughs> so is that, does that answer your question? <laughs> yeah. So when I first heard like the name of your book, how to hack humans, it was mm -hmm. like really eye catching. Right. And the first thing that came to my mind was the science YouTuber. I can't really think of like his name off the top of my head, 
but he's sort of similar to Mark Rober. I'm pretty sure you've heard about Mark Rober. Like mm-hmm. he tried to biohack. And like now, I'm not sure what you're referring to when you say like how to hack humans. So could you please talk about like why you decided to name or make the title of your book that? Like I get one aspect would be marketing. It's like very high catching, but can you just go more into it? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, if you're going to if you're going to sell a book or an idea, you need to get, have something that gets people's attention. And, you know, um, so that that was part of it. But like I said, going back to the whole concept of like how the brain is is very similar to a computer, um, you know, and writing that code is it's kind of like hacking, but it's not hacking in like malicious way. Right. Like I'm um, so I'm using a little bit of uh, it seems like I'm using a little bit of hyperbole here. Um, but the idea is like, no, there's a, um, there's a pattern that the brain understands and it locks onto. Right. And so my whole thing is how do you use that pattern to your advantage? Right. And, and the reason the brain locks onto that is because we have been telling stories since before we were painting on the inside of caves, stories are used to transmit data, basically information from one human or one generation to the next. Here's how you survive in the world. Here's how you do this, don't do that. Hunt here, don't hunt there. Don't play with, you know, don't try to pet the saber-toothed tiger. That's a bad idea, right? Um, do this in the wintertime, do this in the in in summer, right? Like, here's how you conduct your life so you're not, you know, so everybody doesn't hate you and you don't have a miserable life. I mean, that's basically like Aesop's fables or, or the Bible or the Quran, <laughs> you know? It's like um, all, all of these things were, uh, were told in story format before we could write, um, you know, before we had uh, cave paintings, before we had the printing press, we had to pass information along. And so that's why our brains, um, whether we were uh, designed that way or we evolved that way, really doesn't matter. It's it's just the brain locks into it. So, so that's where I'm saying, here's how you get people's attention in a way that isn't, um, necessarily manipulative like you know there's like psychological triggers you can play on and different stuff like that but if you tell a story then people want to sit and give you their attention especially if it's a good story right like there's a reason the movie industry (laughs) and the tv industry is so big because it's driven by storytelling right and people are willing to to fork over 15 dollars and sit there for two hours and give undivided attention (laughs) um if the story is good so um so that's, that's why I talk about it. Like, you know, it's kind of a hack if you understand how things work. Um, but, uh, you know, like I said, it's not, I don't do it in a malicious way, but yeah, you're right. Part of it is marketing. You know, you want to get people's attention and get them interested. And then hopefully if they're interested, they will continue that journey with you. I really like what you said there about storytelling being such a primitive human instinct, essentially. like humans are born to literally listen to stories. That's how evolution has evolved. And that's really leads me to what I wanted to talk about next, which is this storytelling aspect of business. It's related to a lot of the subjects that we actually learn in school. For example, uh, in AP literature, we have to write like short stories all the time, Mm -hmm. which uh, Nathan will talk about a little bit later as he's actually taking the course. And uh, in um, AP psychology, we're really connecting the dots on like how to essentially manipulate the human mind to get the most out of what you want, get the most out of people from your, uh, from your standpoint. And I think um, 
those AP psychology aspects are actually kind of really relating to the storytelling that you're talking about. Uh, and in a course that I'm currently taking, AP language, um, it related to something specific you talked about in your book. Uh, because in your book, I remember specifically reading in the introduction section about the mirror neurons that you talked about. Mm -hmm. And I think that really related to some uh, an activity we did in our AP language class where the teacher randomly paired up students and then projected a list of questions on the board that he said were supposed to trigger a response from people's like um, mirror neurons when they conversed with each other. Uh, it became a little bit awkward later because the <laughs> New York Times article read that this was like 20 questions that will guarantee two people fall in love. Uh, but if you could tell people about uh, what mirror neuron neurons are, how they trigger and uh, how they come in handy when marketing to consumers and how they kind of relate to storytelling and the overall narrative of how to hack humans. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they're uh, mirror neurons, um, they're, they're always firing. Um, like they've done studies where like they see uh, somebody sits and watches somebody dribbling a basketball. And what's happening in the watcher's brain is their brain is going bouncing a basketball even though they're physically not doing it they're but they're it's it's they can see the brain lighting up in that area like that they and so that's what they know um some of the other stuff is um you know it kind of goes into the uh the aspect of empathy where we see somebody going through something and the mirror neurons fire and then we feel a certain way about what's going on now it depends on the person right like if you don't like that person and you see something bad happening to them you're not necessarily firing the mirror neurons in the same way where you're like, oh, I, I feel for that person. I, you know, I talked about it in the book, like we'll watch, um, we'll watch a movie and maybe that, that movie has a hero in it or a heroine that we, um, we like, or we identify with, and then they're put in peril. And then what happens to us? Well, we start feeling stress or anxiety, you know, we're, we're anxious. We want that conflict to be resolved, whatever it is. Um, so those are the, those are the mirror neurons firing so that we can feel something that somebody else is experiencing in ourselves. And that, like I said, um, relates to empathy. Um, but obviously not everybody uses that. Uh, <laughs> so I, I would be curious actually to see, uh, how near, near, uh, mirror neurons work in like a sociopath, right? Where they don't necessarily have feelings. Like what would, what would that look like? I, um, so I, I didn't, in the book, I specifically didn't go down the psychological uh, route or psychology route, because you mentioned that, um, because that's another rabbit hole of like storytelling and and you as the individual and what's happening there. And um, and the book would be like, you know, twice as long. And I just uh, I just wanted to focus it on how do you how do you connect with your customers? So to answer one of your other questions in that whole melange of of explanation, um, the, uh, what you want to do it ultimately in storytelling is one, um, connect with the customer on an emotional level and say, I understand your problem, right? I get it. And then like the way that you talk about it, that's going to make them feel like, oh, this person does get it. And, oh, I have felt that way. And that, and the mirror neurons start firing. There. So why is that important is actually the next question. It's important because the only way, or not the only way, one of the best ways to move something from short-term memory to long-term memory is with emotion. 
if the person doesn't feel a certain way about something, then the memory actually just stays in short term until the RAM gets cleaned out of the RAM and, and nothing happens. Whereas when you have emotion, it goes in a long-term memory. People then are able to remember that over a longer period of time, but they're also more willing to take action when emotion is involved, right? And so unfortunately, like with the political landscape, there's a lot of uh, hyperbole and, you know, riling people up because they want people to go out and vote or, you know, protest or, or whatever the thing is. And, and that, and, and so they are, that kind of is the dark side of storytelling right there. They are using that emotional trigger to pull people into, um, into the action that they want them to take because they are telling a story and they are using emotional triggers in that story to get them to take action. So, um, so, uh, you know, me being a Star Wars fan, I would say the light side of that is you want to uh, tell a story, evoke emotion in your story, but you're doing that to get them to take action by buying your product or whatever, because you know it will help them, right? You know it'll make their life better. And so, you know, one is, is you know, prodding them in the right way, I would say, and the other is manipulating them in the way that you want them to go. So uh, that may bring up more questions, but... <laughs> And I think the thing you said there about empathy, like having like human emotions connecting to one another and having your stories be able to relate to each other. I think that's super important because that's actually what a lot of the questions that my teacher projected on the board centered around. It, it was questions that help people empathize with each other and actually connect on like a more emotional level. And mm -hmm. that's what led to like the mirror neurons firing. And I think that's what can also be applied uh, in the business world uh, mm -hmm. to uh, have consumers and producers kind of connect in the same way. Yeah, and in, in, in what I call story classic, which is the hero's journey, um, the, the mentor always uh, shows, shows the hero um, a level of empathy. I can understand where you've been. I was in the position you were in. So for example, let's use Hunger Games, Hamish, Right, he is the mentor to Katniss Everdeen. Why is he the, he the mentor? Well, because he was in the Hunger Games and he won it. Right, it made his life miserable. <laughs> Unfortunately, he was an alcoholic, but um, he could go to Katniss and say, "I understand what you're going to go through. I know how difficult it's going to be. I know how challenging challenging it is." Right, and that's the, actually the mirror neurons would be firing between those two characters in the story because. One is saying, I understand your situation. And the other is saying, oh, I, this person gets me, right? And then that that's where that, that connection um, and friendship is, is formed. So just to put it into uh, a movie story format for you. <laughs> so I have a question for you though. Uh, how, what, um, what did you think about the questions? Did you feel like they actually were making you fall in love with the other person? Or, you know, what was what was your response to the whole thing? I mean, being high schoolers, I think it was <laughs> just super awkward because uh, everyone kind of just wasn't talking. Like most of the groups that I heard around us, it was a pretty like silent conversation. It was super broken up. Like one person would talk for a couple seconds, then nobody would talk for like another minute. And then the other person would 
kind of just move on to the next question awkwardly. So I don't think that any couples were formed due to the questions, but I, I think it was still a very interesting, like psychological experiment in terms of the mirror neurons. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah. Well, and, and delivery is, is another important aspect of, you know, how you ask a question or how you have a conversation, right? Like, um, if you deliver it like with no emotion, right? And you're just like, I'm reading words off of a page because I was told to read these words off a page. Then, um, then if you're removing emotion from, from that, then it's going to change how the other person responds and reacts, right? Because, um, if that emotions isn't there, it's like, you know, the mirror neurons may not fire in the same way. So, um, so anyway, just, just a, an additional thought for you. <laughs> So one thing that I'd like to talk about is the hero's journey. And Ayush and I, and Rishi probably, we learned about this in ninth grade in our honors literature class about that there's a there's like the problem, the context, and there's a catalyst, the way that the hero, and then the problem that they address and everything like that. So this is something that we're talking about in AP literature, which is the class that I'm taking right now, and how each hero follows a similar cycle. And a very good example of this is um, this uh, book called When the Emperor Was Divine. And it's essentially about this uh, Japanese American family who is in the time during the attack on Pearl Harbor and mm -hmm. their their whole like life is changed in a flick of a second. When the mom is walking back from a grocery store, she sees on this like lamppost saying that all Japanese Americans should pack their stuff and report to this location. And the whole book is written in very, very simple English. It's like my sister could read it who's in sixth grade and she could understand what the whole book is about. And it kind of talks about none of the characters have names. So it's kind of about how they have no identity and they're all pushed into this one camp where they're all considered the same people and they're all just Japanese Americans who are considered against America. So none of the characters have names. So we commonly refer to the boy who is the daughter, who is the son of the mother. And he goes through the hero's journey where he's only seven years old and he has to go to this concentration camp where he's seeing people getting killed for just bending down near the like the fence of the walls and everything like that. So I think the hero journey is super important, but I don't really know how it can be used to describe a product because we've seen it in stories where, I mean, in novels where there's a character and throughout like the reading of maybe two and a half hours, you can see the whole story. But if you're pitching a product to a consumer and you have maybe, let's say an elevator pitch of 30 seconds, how exactly do you use the hero's journey to convey this product in a very meaningful way? Yeah, so, um, so uh, the one of the simplest formats you can use is problem and solution. But think about it this way: hero and villain, right? You know the um, so so problem and solution is you have a problem, I've got a solution for you, right? That is a very simple story to tell, and it, it's actually effective. And I I can give you a perfect real world example of how effective it is: uh, late night infomercials. Every late night infomercial starts with, don't you hate it when you have to clean your windows outside? Well, we've provided, you know, this XYZ sprayer doohickey thing. Don't you hate it when, you know, you can't get your clothes clean? Don't you hate it when those are, they're always starting with a problem and then they're, they're setting themselves up to provide the solution. So that is a story, right? Cause they're saying, Hey hero, I know you have a villain. I got the solution. Let me help you out. 
And by um, doing that, that kind of sets them up as the mentor or the guide in the story. Now, you can expand on that on that story, right? You can um, you can uh, talk to the hero and say, "Hey, um, you know, I know you have a problem. I know you're looking for this type of transformation, right? Because a good hero's journey, the hero always transforms. They never stay the same. If they do, they kind of suck as <laughs> as a hero. Um, and you know, there's there's conflict, right? So that's where you as as the mentor kind of talk about the problem at a deeper level than um, just saying, you know, surfacey stuff. And then um, you want to essentially, uh, you know, uh, put that emotion into the story by by talking about that problem, kind of, I call it sticking your finger in the wound. <laughs> um, and then you want to position yourself as as the person that can help them overcome that challenge. Right. And that's that's the mentor. Um, and so, um, you know, in the in in the storytelling, like there's, um, you know, there's lots of different things you can do. Like you can, I mean, if you start with a problem, that would also be called the inciting incident. Uh, Robert McKee talks about it in his book story, which is really about screenwriting. But you learn a hell of a lot about telling good stories. <laughs> um, so, so you want to take somebody through, you know, these different uh, steps of the hero's journey, like. Like for instance, you were talking about um, how the boy, you know, they were a Japanese American family, and then they went into, um, you know, this, like prison camp. Well, that's the hero moving from the ordinary world into the, the supernatural, or, or you know, there's a there's a change in their environment and their setup. Um, and so, um, and then one of the other things that you want to want to be able to do is show show your hero um, using your solution in a way that is helping them overcome that problem. So uh, like, again, in a screenwriting term, that would be kind of setting the stakes. Like future pacing is a marketing term that we, we use. Like, um, imagine if you, you know, uh, you're over here and there's this chasm and imagine what your life would be like if you got over this chasm and you were over here, right? Like that is um, part of telling a good story. And so there's uh, there's a lot of different elements you can use. I focused on some, but not all of them, because like in the hero's journey, there's 15 different steps that need to happen. And frankly, when you're selling a product, you don't have time to like tell it, tell, you know, the Odyssey or, like, or, the, or the Iliad. Um, and so you kind of have to uh, look at that and break those down. And that's why, like I said, sometimes it's as simple as just saying, I understand your problem. Here's the solution, right? And a person can go, yeah, I, I do have that problem and I do need that solution. So, um, but like on a website, you can get into, you know, more detail about what is the problem and what does it look like and what is it doing to you as the hero and how do you feel about it as the hero? And, you know, I'm the guide and, and, and I can do, do some like, and here's why I'm a good guide. I've won these awards. I've helped all these people. I've, you know, done whatever, um, been featured in these in these magazines or these articles so um so all of that uh is basically how you can tell a story about a product or service but um another way to look at it is you could give your product a personality and you could tell a story about like how your product uh um is is likes to go out clubbing on saturday nights and you know dance the night away and, and that product may be like a lip gloss product or something like that where the hero could be like, 
oh, I could see myself going out and wearing this lip gloss and, and having this experience, right? Like, so, um, so I, so products in particular, I like to take that route of like, well, how do we give this thing some personality? Cause otherwise it's just a freaking bottle with some like, you know, liquid inside of it. And we can sit here and talk about how the bottle's seven ounces and it's got X, Y, Z ingredients, but there's no story there. That's not very interesting. That's, those are data points, right? So, so how do we create, um, a product with some some sort of personality and tell a story about how this product goes skydiving on the weekend or you know like that makes the product more fun and more interesting and it's another way to use story so just uh as an example i see some heads heads nodding <laughs> uh as i'm talking about this stuff so it seems it seems like like uh yeah i think we're all on the same page but um what else? What else? Ask me more. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of High School Not So Much a Musical. If you found Mr. Erickson's storytelling narrative interesting, make sure to check out his book, How to Hack Humans. Check out the link in the description to preview chapter one for free. Additionally, make sure to listen to part two and part three of our podcast with Mr. Erickson, which will be released in the coming weeks. And see you next time. High School Not So Much a Musical is hosted by Ayush Agarwal and Nitin Jaldanki. Narration by Samhit Padala. Music from Louis Luang Relaxation Cafe, Tune Pocket, and Infraction. If you like the show, please recommend it to your friends and family. Thank you for listening and see you next time.